Turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This is uh, kind of a big year. Uh, in October, I celebrated 50 years in the pulpit. And uh, then in November uh, to 28th, which is next week, I'll be married to that sweet lady for 50 years. We were dating in 1968, and Martin Luther King got killed. And you know, I'm a country boy. I was from way up in the sticks of Union City. And uh, I looked out one day at the Kroger store I was working in, Eastgate Shopping Center, and the National Guard was camped in the parking lot. And uh, I said, I don't know, Memphis is crazy, I'm going back home. So I left and went back to Union City, but I was still in love with Linda. So I had to get that fixed, and so I started preaching in October. Uh, we got married in uh, November, and in uh, April I'll be 70, so it's all coming together quick. Uh, I can divorce-proof every marriage in the world. I can't. Just never call a lawyer. As far as I know, you can't get divorced without calling a lawyer. And Linda and I call, huh? <laughs> we were told when we got married, I was 19, she was 20, we were told we wouldn't make it. And I don't know that we will or not, but we're still working on it. <laughs> you know, the Bible teaches uh, no divorce. It's, it's uh, you, you're, uh, till death do you part. And so Linda's motto has always been divorce, never, murder, maybe. But so far, she hasn't wanted to do any jail time. And uh, so we're hanging in there. And uh, we thank you and love you as a church family. 36 of those 50 years have been right here. So I'm very appreciative. When I was 33 years old, I got a wild hair that I could start a church. And uh, God did it. So it was it has been uh, quite a ride. Now take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to continue on. Last week, uh, in the last two weeks, Marcus has dealt with uh, the conversion of Paul and all of the uh, things that were surrounded with that. Now we pick up with Peter for a few minutes. And he says, There was a certain man uh, in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Now, the Roman army had conscripted all kinds of people from all over the world to be in the army. But everywhere they had like a headquarters. And Caesarea was one of the big headquarter cities uh, on the Mediterranean. And everywhere that they had an important uh, governmental center, they made sure they brought an Italian, a Roman army with them. A, a, a legion of Roman army. And so he was of the upper crust of the Roman society. He was a leader of uh, the, this Italian man. And he was a devout man, one who feared God with his whole household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision 
an angel of God, coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And so he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come before as a memorial before God. Now send to Joppa uh, and inquire for a Simon, a Simon, whose surname is Peter. Uh, he is lodging with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And the angel who spoke to him departed, and Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, and from among those who waited on him continually. So then he had explained all these things. He sent them to Joppa. Now, Peter is 70 miles away, 60 miles away down the coast at uh, what is today uh, modern-day Tel Aviv. Uh, there is a, still a city of Caesarea. Uh, there's, there's ruins, but there's a modern city behind it. And uh, the only golf course in Israel is in Caesarea, and it's owned by the Rothschilds. So uh, it's, a, it's a rich place now. Uh, but uh, then it was a bustling city with a harbor. Uh, it's, it's hard to explain how magnificent Caesarea was. Uh, King Herod was, was not a Roman and he wasn't a Jew fully. He was Idunium, part, uh, part Jewish and, and part Arab. And, uh, but he had made close friends with uh, the, the Caesar and he had been granted rulership over Israel and he did everything he could to impress the Caesar that he was a good boy. And he built Caesarea Philippi up on the foothills of Mount Hermon. Uh, he built Caesarea down by the sea, which is where Cornelius was. He built a big fortress in Jerusalem, built another one in Bethlehem called Hedron. And he built one down on the Mediterranean that was uh, uh, at uh, Machaerus. I mean, uh, uh, what is the name of that place? We don't want to go up on the mountain. Bethsaida, there you go, somebody help me. But he did build Macris, which was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But he did a major, huge construction project to impress the Caesar that he was somebody of great importance. And so Caesar, protecting his own interests, had this Italian man at Caesarea. And so this young man, uh, Cornelius, now has, has uh, begun to seek the Lord. So the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open uh, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descended to him and let down through the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, Ugh. and uh, birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, and eat. <laughs> and Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter 
wondered within himself what this vision was which he had seen. Behold, the men had been sent from Cornelius and they were made inquiry at Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought on about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, <coughs> the title of our message is God's grace is for everyone. How many people did Jesus die for? Everybody. Everybody. That's what's so wonderful about salvation. Jesus, who was the God-man, a God, he was God in the flesh. And that's what made it powerful. That's what made it work. Because you can't die for me and I can't die for you. When I'm dead, I'm dead. I don't do anybody any good. But Jesus, when he died, because he is omnipotent, he could save everybody with his blood. You know, the Bible said the wages of sin is death. And so he paid sin's price. He died for us. And because he was omnipotent, all-powerful, he was good enough, his blood was good enough to save all. Not all respond, but all have the opportunity. Then, because Jesus is omnipresent, he was the agent of creation. He has always existed. He didn't get born in Bethlehem some time ago. That's when he became man. He has been with God from the beginning. He is God. So he's in every age. He's in the age of Adam. He was in the age of Noah. He was in the age of Abraham and David and up through the prophets and even to his present time where he was uh, actually born physically. And he's been in every generation since then. Let me tell you something else. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He died for you before you were ever born. In the book of Revelation, after the third chapter, we enter into heaven. And who do we find there? We find Christ, and he's called the Lamb. And it says about the Christ that he's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. He didn't just die 2,000 years ago. It was God's plan. When God picked up the first scoop of dirt and made Adam, Jesus had already died for him. Because God knew that by giving men absolute free will, we'd goof it up. We'd goof it up. And so God, Jesus wasn't some stopgap method. He wasn't a thumb in the dike somewhere along the road because men had messed up. Absolutely not. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. And Cornelius was a part of that all. Now, the first thing we want to see is God prepares men's hearts for salvation. Just don't get saved. I don't, I had a little girl tell me one time, uh, you save me and baptize me. I said, I hope not. I hope Jesus saved you. I don't mind baptizing you. And she meant that, 
But you know, she just misstated herself as she was trying to, she didn't understand all the religious talk. And uh, so she said, you save me and baptize me. No, I don't save anybody. Never have saved anybody. Jesus saves everybody. So the Bible says, no man can come to me except the Father that hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up on the last day. You just can't make up your mind one day, well, I'm going to get saved today. But if you did that, it's because Holy Spirit had prepared your heart and let you do that and drew you to himself. I was telling the Sunday school class this morning that uh, I was pastoring a little church in Arkansas called the Moro Baptist Church. People from there are Morons. No, Morodians. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I was preaching. One, you know, in that little Baptist church, you had to preach. If five came, you still did Sunday night service. And if three came, you did Wednesday night service. And so, you know, we, and, and I taught Sunday school, preached on the radio three times a week. And once on the radio on Sunday morning, I think I, I, I counted one time I was doing ten different messages a week. Uh, and it was real cool to preach on the radio because I went down and did it live. And there was a glass between me and the disc jockey. And he had his earphones on. He, and then he'd look over at me and he'd think, I mean, three minutes. He'd look back, two minutes. He'd look back, one minute. He'd look back, and 30 seconds later, well, no matter where I was, they cut off and went someplace else. So I learned to preach uh, Barbara, I learned to preach in 30 minutes. Where's Barbara? Over here. That's where I learned to preach 30 minutes and cut my throat <laughs> at the end of that time. But anyway, it was a wonderful opportunity. But I was preaching one Sunday night. And, you know, by that time, I knew everybody in that little town. I think there were 300 people in town. And so I'd known everybody by that time because I used to go down to Smoke and Joke Restaurant and uh, hang out with the guys early in the morning, and then they'd introduce me to this, that, and the other. And uh, anyway, this guy came on Sunday night with his wife and family. I'd never seen him before. I didn't know who he was. Went up and introduced myself, said his name was Danny Weatherford. Here's his wife and his son. And uh, so I said, well, are you from here? Oh, yeah, I was raised, I was raised in this church. And he said, I was out hunting this afternoon. And I sat down on a log. He didn't know it, but the Holy Spirit sat down beside him. And he got to thinking about that. He got to thinking about raising his kids, and they weren't in church. And so he made up his mind he was going to rededicate his life to Jesus Christ sitting on that log out in the middle of nowhere and came to church Sunday night. He told me the story. I thought the man's crazy. So I went the next day to the furnishing store. You got to know a little country Arkansas town. They had a furnishing store that everybody got their stuff from. If they didn't have enough money, they'd charge it. And when the crop came in, then they'd pay it. And if they didn't pay it, the guy got the farm. But anyway, uh, uh, I talked to Jesse. He was one of our deacons. I talked to Jesse. I said, do you know Danny Weatherford? He said, sure, I do. He's raising the church. I said, he's crazy. No, he's a good guy. And I got to know him. God called him into the ministry, called him to preach. But God got that man's heart in the middle of a field hunting. I'd never met him. 
I sure had nothing to do with it. You understand? Nothing. God's Spirit is the one who convicts. God's Spirit is the one who draws. God's Spirit is the one who brings us to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. There's another verse, a companion verse that we need to look at. It's in the book of Genesis. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. My spirit shall not always strive with men. Now, if Holy Spirit speaking to you, that's a serious thing. That is a serious thing. He loves you. He died for you. And He's beckoning you. And He's inviting you to come and join His family. Be saved forever through faith in Him. And you say, no thank you. No thank you. No thank you. Later. Later. One day, you just don't feel you need God anymore. Just don't have to have God. I don't need God. I don't believe in God. And just go on about your life without God. Whose fault's that? That's your own fault. Because Jesus died plenty of blood for you. And the Holy Spirit invited you. And you said, no, thank you. You know, don't wake up in hell and blame God or somebody else. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ today and the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, you you do it today. You do it today. But at the same time that God was working in the life of Cornelius, He was also working in the life of the witness, Peter. Peter wouldn't even go to Caesarea. Jews didn't go to Caesarea unless they were in chains because it was an unclean city. It was a Gentile city. It was a city of non-Jewish people. They did not keep the law. They were not kosher. And so Jews stayed away from Caesarea. But while Peter was on the rooftop and he went into this trance, God told him, No, Peter, it's not for the Jews only. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. And he said, he showed him all these weird animals. Them creeping things kind of bother me. I, didn't, I don't want to eat no creeping things. Uh, even if God did say they're clean. But uh, nonetheless, I did eat alligator. That's closest to a creeping thing I'm ever going to eat <laughs> that I know about. <laughs> but... Uh, Uh, He told Peter, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, no, I can't do that. It's not kosher. These animals aren't legal. They're unclean. The Bible said they were common. They were unclean. And God said, you hear me well, buddy. What I blessed will never be unclean. What I've blessed will never be. Unclean. Now Peter's trying to get his mind around all this. You understand? This is, a, this is an unbelievable change that's taking place. I mean now they're saying that Gentiles, uh, 
that, that weren't proselytes. There were Gentiles that came into the Jewish faith, and they were there's a whole a courtyard outside the temple called the Court of the Proselytes, and they were able to go there. That's where actually uh, the Ethiopian eunuch had been. He was a proselyte who was up in worshiping and seeking God and so forth. He'd been to Israel. He'd been to Jerusalem to worship. He was a believer. And that's when he uh, met Peter, I mean uh, Philip, and came to know the Lord. But anyway, uh, God was telling him, it's for everybody. It's for all people. And about that time, there was a knock on the door. And the Holy Spirit again spoke to Peter and said, Peter, there's some guys there with you, looking for you. You go with them. You go with them. So he comes downstairs and he finds a heathen Roman soldier. Now that's not true because Cornelius already said he was a devout man. And these slaves that were outside Judaism. And he said, go with them. So he gets downstairs and said, where are we going, boys? Well, we're going to Caesarea. We're going to the house of Cornelius. Man, he liked to melt it in his sandals. I, I mean, this is unbelievable. You know, this, this is being sent to a strip joint to witness. He's trying to get it together. How, 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 how can that happen? How can those two things ever come together? Anything in Caesarea and the Lord Christ. But God had given him the witness. God had given him. He changed his heart, told him, no, it's clean. It's all good. Go do it. And so he goes down there and he finds that not only Cornelius, but all of Cornelius' immediate family and household were hungry and anxious to hear the things of Christ. And while he was speaking, God worked. We'll read it here in Acts 42 through 44. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which has ordained of God to be judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness through his name. Whosoever believes in him shall have received remission of sins. And while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. There was demonstration that the family had believed. The household had been prepared. Ezra says that if you're to witness, you know, the uh, uh, Rocks were here a few weeks ago from the organization Crew, C-R-U. used to be called Crusade for Christ, Campus Crusade for Christ. But they developed some uh, witnessing tools. They developed some uh, how to uh, grow closer to the Holy Spirit and things like that. And so a successful witness, to quote them, is sharing Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Sharing Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results 
to God. So we find in Ezra 7.10 that Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Ezra knew that if he was going to lead the people, he had to first get his heart right with God. He had to be very careful that he and God were close, that he would be sensitive, that he would be open to be able to share the message of Christ. The very first Sunday we opened here in the gym, you know, like I'm scared to death. We've still got a three-month lease left on the rent building, and we're fixing to start making payments on a new building. And, uh, you know, uh, we're paying about a $1,200 rent up there in the rent building, but this other building, this new one was $2,500. I wished it was that now. But it was $2,500, $1,200. I'm thinking, God, how are we going to pay for all this? Uh, how are we going to have we had Randy on staff? We, we had Jim Kaler on the staff. Brenda Newbern was on staff. And, and I mean, we're trying to make a living, trying to pay the rent, turn on the utilities, and all that kind of thing. And all of a sudden it hit. And I'm thinking, oh God, oh God. And I wanted to know how many people were coming. I was anxious to look out on the parking lot. I was anxious to see how many people were coming. And there was a knock on my door. And Bud Simpson brought in Bill Lundy and said he wants to get saved. Oh, I hadn't got time to do this. Okay, Bill, Jesus saves, pray to receive Christ. Boy got out and asked Jesus in his heart. Just like that. I, and, and he got saved. And uh, so... And, of course, I got outside, and people were parked on both sides of the road, and the parking lot was running over. I said, we're going to be open one more week. I know that. So, <laughs> so we went through all this business, but it was amazing. It's amazing to watch God work in spite of sometimes. But if you're to be an effective witness, you're to have your heart right with God. You're to be prepared with God. To him, excuse me, in, in, in 2 Timothy 2 and 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Bible study is necessary. It's important. You can believe. You can be a Christian. But if you're going to believe and be a Christian, then you have a responsibility to open the Bible and figure out what's in there and how God wants to use it in your life and in the life of others. You have that responsibility. You have to do it. It's not optional. And so you come to know the Lord. Uh, God's working in your heart. And that includes prayer. That includes opening your Bible. That includes regularly being a part of a small group and being involved with a, a church family. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's what you're supposed to believe. For reproof, that's when you make mistakes and goof up. For correction and for further instruction in righteousness. So I say it's like this. God shows you what road to drive on.
sometimes you get in a ditch. And then his word will get you out of the ditch. It's called reproof. And he doesn't leave you there. He continues to give you instruction in righteousness that you can continue to grow as a believer. God works by preparing the hearts of hungry men and women for Christ. Can I ask you, are you even looking for that? Are you even searching for people with hungry hearts? Does it ever cross your mind when you're talking to somebody and they've got issues and they've got this and they've got that going on and they may have told you a hundred times they're not interested in Christ. But Christ is interested in them. And in spite of the smoke screen sometimes, many have been prepared by Holy Spirit. And when you mention, well, I don't know exactly what's going on in your life, but I know the Lord Jesus changed my life. And if you'll let him, he'll change your life. And they look at you and say, okay. And you say, oh, what I do now? They said, okay, call the preacher. Don't call a preacher. Tell them to ask Jesus into their heart. You can do that same as I can. In fact, you can't goof it up. You can't goof it up. Right after we had opened, we was in a little writ building up on Stage Road, uh, Austin P. Highway, Central North Church. Weight Watchers, video magic. That was us. We were in a shopping center. Uh, we were the first fools to do that. Now every shopping center in Memphis has got a church of some kind in it. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I was, uh, a lady started coming to church with her daughter. And I had an office, I shared an office with Sean, Sean Wilkins, who was a farm, state farm agent. And he had an extra room and he had a secretary. So I got a telephone with a long cord on it. And if I wasn't in my office, I'd leave it out there, and the girl would answer it for me, take notes, take messages, and so forth. We didn't have cell phones in those days, you see. And uh, so then she'd chase me down or call London, leave a message or this, that, uh, and the other. But anyway, I came in to work one morning, and this little lady was sitting in her car waiting on me. And so she said she need to talk to me. I said, Okay. And she said her husband was running around on her, and what should she do? I thought about it a minute. Now, this man had played linebacker at Ole Miss. In fact, he was an All-American linebacker from Ole Miss. He was meaner than a junkyard dog. Man, he, he was the hardest man. I've been down at his place of business, and somebody mess up. And they just had to go outside because he got, he got violent, he got nasty, and he worked them over. And he, when Meredith uh, tried to enroll in Ole Miss, he was part of the crew that burned some buildings and stuff. He was, I mean, as mean as you could be. But for some reason, I handed his wife my business card, and I'd say, Tell him to call me. I don't see how she had time to get from my office to his office. And the phone rang. And it was him. And I said, well, I need to talk to you. He said, okay, how about 6 o'clock tonight? Uh, yeah, that'll be fine. I'll be there. So I pull up. He comes up in this nice brand new Corvette. 
gets out in these cute little white shorts, his muscle shirt, and he comes in the building. And uh, somehow Holy Spirit gave me courage, and I looked at him and I said, son, you need to be a man. Of course, he kind of looked at me. He thought he was a man, <laughs> and he was on the outside. <laughs> but I said, if you're not going to be faithful to your wife, then tell her, give her a divorce, and pay her what she's due. But if you're a real man, you'll kiss and make up and be faithful to her from now on. How, how do I do that? And I said, you ask Jesus come in your heart and save you. How do you do that? I said, well, you get down here and pray. Boom, he hit the floor. Okay, he prayed to receive Christ. You know where he lives today? He's about 80 now. You know where he lives? In Binghampton. You know what he's doing in Binghampton? He's helping his son do a ministry to predominantly black people. You reckon God changed the inside of him now? That boy planted churches. He went on the mission field, stayed two years, and ran a relief center for missionaries who were about to burn out and stuff like that. That boy got saved. He got his, he got his mean for Jesus as he was for the devil. God's in the saving business. He's in the life-changing business. And if His Holy Spirit's working with you this day, Easton, y'all come on. Uh, and uh, I ain't figured out yet why the band sits on the back row. <laughs> they probably won't next week. <laughs> or they won't be here. <laughs> But I'm just as serious as I know how to be. This may be your day to come to know Jesus Christ. This may be your day to figure out God can use you. This may be your day that you decide that they're hungry hearts out there. And instead of just being buddy-buddy with them and having Starbucks or a glass of wine with them or something and trying to be, you know, you just think, well, if I hang out with them and act nice, they'll, maybe they'll, no, no, no. You have to tell them about Jesus. Amen. Okay? They have to hear that Jesus died. You know, 98.9 started playing Christmas music early. So I started listening to it. I listened to it all day yesterday at a funeral. I buried Abu Gahadi yesterday. Abu, they were, the whole family was Hindu. So I said, well, the only kind of funeral I know how to do is a Christian funeral. That'd be okay. See, in the, they used to add another God on the bottom of the list. And so I just got up and preached salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, I was riding back and forth, going back and forth. I was listening to this Christmas music. Do you know they didn't play one song that mentioned Jesus? You listen to all that, you think Santa Claus was a savior. You think Santa Claus died on the cross. And I'm going to write him a letter. Or better yet, I may just go down and see him while I'm mad about it. Uh, I can't believe it. At least they called it Christmas music. They didn't call it holiday music. They didn't call it Christmas music. But I'm telling you, I don't care what the world thinks, Jesus saves. Jesus changes lives. Jesus expects us as believers to make his word 
know. Will you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, I, I don't know what you're doing. You may be doing, everybody here may be right with you. I kind of doubt that, but everybody here might be right, right with you. But I believe there's somebody here probably needs to come to know Jesus today. There's some people need to rededicate their life to Christ. They know they're not living on where they need to be living. They know that if some hungry person came to them, they don't know if they could get the words out. They'd be so embarrassed. So, Lord, I ask you today to change people's hearts and lives. Bring them to yourself. Bring Christians to reality. There may even be some people hunting for a church home. Come tell me. We'll get you in that new class. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Stand with me and I'll be down front for...